0: Welcome to Coffee with the College, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives, Wisconsin chapter. Our goal is for listeners to find this podcast as relaxing as Coffee with Friends and just as comfortable as our guests and observers banter about questions that are on all of our minds. If you've listened to these podcasts before, you know the drill. I'm your host, Janet Schultz. I'm Chief Information Officer at a human services company called MyPath. Our observer today is Madeline Bushman, who is an operations manager in the Mayo Clinic Health System Department of Family Medicine. Today, we're going to explore cultural competency in healthcare systems with our guest, Rochelle Webb Dixon. Rochelle is Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer at Frederick Hospital. Welcome, Rochelle.
1: Thank you, Janet. Truly appreciate
0: it. Glad to be here. We're glad you're here as well. And Madeline, could you say hello so our listeners get to know your voice too? Hello, Janet. It's good to be here. Thanks, Madeline. Um, So, Rochelle, um, to get us started, um, would you tell us a bit about your career path and your current role before we get into today's topic?
1: Sure, I'll give you the short and sweet version. Um, I always thought I was going to be an attorney. I grew up in the Midwest, um, Cleveland, Ohio to be exact, and went to the University of Michigan. And there was a summer in, summer internship that was being advertised, and um, I applied for it. And it changed my trajectory. So instead of going to law school, I went to a School of Public Health at the University of Michigan to study health administration. Um, and at that time, they didn't have the dual degree because I think I would have applied for the dual degree. But from that moment forward, um, I was introduced to a field that allowed me to do what I feel is my calling, which is to help others. Um, and so I worked in I grew up in health systems. I've always been in health systems and very thankful for the opportunity to make health care, which can be so um, traumatic for some to try to make that role easy as people, especially people of color, try to access health. Um, And so that is um, my quick journey. I've worked um, most recently before coming to Frater Hospital at um, Common Spirit Health, which was um, a large not-for-profit in 21 different states. And I worked on that merger, um, but had worked for one of those companies, Cat Health Initiatives, for 17 years. So very thankful to
2: be here.
0: Thanks, Rochelle. And um, listeners, Rochelle has been in the Milwaukee area at Freighter now for two years. She just recently celebrated her two-year anniversary in May of 2022. So let's get into our topic, Rochelle, because you've already foreshadowed um, a passion for cultural competency, even as you started to describe your career. So to begin, um, let's start with this. How do you personally define cultural competency?
1: Janet, thanks for the question. Um, My personal definition of cultural competency will be around the ability to interact and understand people with different cultures. So we talk a lot about providing cultural competent care. Um, And also you'll hear people hear the term health equity, that health equity care, equitable care. It means that you come into the doors of our facilities, no matter if you're African-American, Latino, Hmong, LGBTQA, whatever that is, there's some norms that come with you. How do we as your providers meet you where you are to provide that care that's going to help you become well again or stay well if you're coming in the inventory setting? So that cultural competent piece is to recognize that everybody that walks in the door may not have the same experiences as that provider. But how do we equip that provider, whether that be nurse, physician, um, Advanced practiced nurse. How do we equip them to understand different cultures and then provide care that is going to be um, responsive to the needs that the patients have?
0: So in your experience, you've got quite a bit of experience, um, Rochelle. What have you seen driving health systems to work on cultural competency?
1: I, I laugh, Janet, because the quite a bit of experience says that I'm a uh, As much as I want to believe now, I'm still that mid-careerist. I probably have a few more years than that uh, behind me. And I think what works well for health systems is understanding that there is concern or reason to understand the data that's happening at your hospital. So most people would say, of course, hospitals provide competent care or culturally competent care. And then if you look at your data and you look at it from a race or ethnicity manner, you may see that African-American women may have a higher mortality in childcare known across the country. What do we do about that? Or we may say, if we're talking about Milwaukee and Pacific, that there are some concerns that we have with the Hmong population, and maybe we're not meeting their needs appropriately. So I think you start with the data to say, assuming that we do everything we can to take care for people, are there some differences that we're not recognizing that we need to be mindful of, and look at the data,
2: Rochelle? When this work is successful, what impacts have you seen on the patients that we serve, and and also tying in some of what you what you spoke about in in this last question with the data, and um, when you're when you're analyzing um, the you know the qualitative and the quantitative aspects of that data is. Is it clearly telling the story as well with, with those impacts? What does that look like?
1: Great, Madeline. So, okay. What works well is what you're asking me. And then how do, we, um, how do we tell the full story of who comes through our doors? Is that correct? Did I get it right? Okay. I think what works well is when we acknowledge the yes, sorry, And I'll go back to the maternal um, concerns for African-American females. And I go to that one because it, it's been in the news and you've had celebrities like a Serena Williams um, and Allison Felix. I ran track when I was in grad, in, um, excuse me, I ran grad school, but also an undergrad. And so Allison Felix runs track. She talks about her journey as well. Um, so if you look at kind of their experience and what works well, is for us to understand the data and then figure out what are those pieces that are missing. So when you talk about health equity you also talk about the social determinants of health. What are those things outside the four walls of the hospital that are going to help us meet the needs of our patients? So from a social perspective, um, when we talk about do, do, do you have the resources, do you have access to medications if needed, do you have access to child care, all these other things, prenatal care, they are going to help make sure that you your experience when you come within the four walls of our hospital are successful. So when you talk about an example from health systems, um, I'll I'll use one that we're working on here at Frederick, is that we recognize, again, like everyone across the country, that our statistics for women of color, African-American women in particular, are not where we want them to be. So our response is that we're going to do a mobile clinic. And we're going to put it in that area where we have the highest incidence of concern and just be there. Now, it's one thing to say, hey, we're afraid we're going to go to the clinic. You know, we're going to sorry, We're going to go put in a mobile clinic in the community It's another thing to go stem back and realize that because it's outside the four walls of the hospital, that structure, that we may not have all the answers. So how do we collaborate with our community partners to say, what are you seeing? What resources are out there? Where are the gaps? And then how do we help? close those gaps. And I think that's what's been successful and I've seen across the country is recognizing the health system is only part of the solution and that you have to um, partner with your community to solve the problem and not assume that you know, because recognize that it's been a blind spot for us. So go to the community leaders, go to community organizations who may understand what the concern is and then help collaborate with them to find the right solution. Hopefully that answered the question,
2: Yes, I believe you did, and the specific example that you gave it—it it certainly told you know that story. I I could hear the story um, coming through there. Um, one of the I do have a follow up question for you because because you ta- you hit on a key point here with pulling in those community leaders, and you know how do you ensure that you have the the right leaders, um, at the table or that diverse group of leaders at the table to, to identify, you know, you have your different perspectives and you're identifying those gaps and, and closing those gaps. So how do you pull in those leaders?
1: I think that's a great question. Um, and part of that, I would say is recognize that the health system is a hospital. We may not know who those communities leaders are, but you can begin to ask those questions. So, um, how do I, where's, what where does everyone go if we use a different community besides African-American? Where do all Latinos go, right? And then go talk to the leader of that organization. Are there churches that are large churches that have a large population of Latinos? Can we go talk to them? And then who are those leaders that may not have a title, but are well-respected in the, in, the, in the community that we need to talk to as well? So I think you have to be intentional about asking questions and assuming you don't have the answers. And then following where you go. So if I go back to an example for my past life, We were in um, North Dakota, and we were pulling together a community engagement group, and no one around there had titles. And I remember one of the women talking to us when we were doing kind of our um, community conversations, and she said to me, if you want to get to the Latino community, and it was in North Dakota, so who knew, right? She said, come to my house. And representing the hospital at that point, no one would have, we were looking for structures buildings what church do we go to what community center do we go to and she said you come to my house i'll have the people there will listen to you and it's a safe space and so again again i think assuming that you don't always have the answers but ask the question so you can learn and be open to it and then be open to receiving and doing whatever is asked so that hospital um went and did a meeting at her house and the amount of trust that was gained is immeasurable. But I think we have to be willing to ask the question and then listen and respond appropriately.
0: On behalf of Coffee with the College, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our premier sponsors Epstein UN Architects, HGA, Hush Blackwell. And thank you as well to our preferred sponsors CG Schmidt, Findorf, Paul Render. Nutanix, Plunkett Research Architects, and Quarles and Brady. So, Rochelle, with those couple of examples you've given, you've given some great stories around the start of a path to success, right? So let's ask the flip side question. Have you seen any examples where healthcare systems have stubbed their toe in this work?
1: Absolutely, Janet. And I laugh because I think those are the stories we don't like to tell. Uh, we always want to assume that we are successful in whatever endeavors we put forth, but there are times when we just aren't. Um, I, I'll think I'll I'll say this one: um, We all just came to COVID, and as freighted, we were trying to get people um, vaccinated, right? Especially communities of color or communities that were vulnerable. And so um, Eric Conley, the hospital CEO, was having community conversations. So we had the Latin- Latino com- community um, conversation, African-American, LGBTQA. And out of those conversations, they were saying to us, do a commercial with us in it, talking to people, and we'll get them, we'll increase the vaccination rates. So the African-American one, we used a barber, very popular in, in the Milwaukee community, and the message was heard. So the only reason you know that it's freighter is because you may see it at the end of the commercial, but no one in Freighter was there. It literally was, we'll pay for it. You all do it. There's a message that needs to be heard. We did the same thing with the Latino group, but we came with a commercial that we'd already put together. And the feedback we got from that group was that we had missed the mark. Most people don't come and say that, right? But I'm, I'm transparent enough to say we missed the mark. And what that group said to us was wrong language, wrong view, wrong perspective. Where we'll we write it, if you're willing to redo it, we'll get it out there. And we did. Because again, it wasn't about us. And we thought we were kind of getting ahead of the game. Like maybe they would tweak it a little bit. And it was the totally wrong perspective. Because for them, it had to come from the table, right? It had to come from, hey, this is like, we're, we're doing the coffee conversation, that kitchen conversation right? Um, And so we had to be humble enough to say, sorry, and we're willing to do it again. Um, And I think that's important because you have to build trust. We're not there to tell the different communities what to do, but we're we're there to help them accomplish the goals that they already know they want to accomplish, but they need the resources to do so. So when I think about that in terms of a health system, Am I, assume, am I assuming that every provider is going to know every culture and know how to treat them appropriately when they come to the doors? No. Is it the expectation that when that patient walks through our doors that we have a sense of what's going on with them or we are humble enough to ask the question so that the care that we provide is relevant to them? Yes. Yes. Is there some training we need to do? Absolutely. There's training we need to do. But we also need to make sure that we are um, receptive and responsive to the needs of the communities in which we
0: serve. As I'm listening to you share that story, Rochelle, it's taking me back to the introduction you did of yourself and how tumbling into public health made you realize your calling, right? And that we're here to provide health care and support people in being healthy. Yes. And so <clears throat> when I'm listening to the story you just told, We have to remember it's not about us. It is about those that we serve. And so we have to start um, with them in terms of asking questions um, about how they define health and what supports they feel they need. And then we marry that with the information we have um, to together find a solution.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, Janet. Thank you.
0: So... You just shared a lesson learned, Uh, Rochelle. What advice would you give to healthcare systems about cultural competency efforts? Because these efforts are still unfolding. I mean, I'd be curious to even know from you, if you talk about infant, toddler, (laughs) childhood, (laughs) where would you say we are in the continuum of these efforts? And what advice would you give?
1: Oh, wow, Janet, great question. So, if I looked at healthcare as a whole, I would say we're probably in the toddler phase. Some of us are a little bit more advanced, others not, but in general, as a whole, I'd say we're in the to- toddler phase. Um, my advice is um, whether you use the word cultural competence or you use the word health equity, start the journey if you haven't. And if you're along that journey, make sure that um, you're listening to your community, you're listening to your patients, the consumers, and you're adjusting appropriately. So for example, another kind of truth telling moment for us, um, we have inventory settings all across the greater Milwaukee area, and they were open long hours during the week and on the weekend. It's not the time people were able to see us. I should say the opposite. If we closed eight to five, if people need to see us after six when they got home, or on the weekends, what are we doing? And so I think even the services we provide have to be responsive to those who seek our care. So if I'm only open eight to five and you get home from work and you have an incident and you need care, you're going to come to my emergency department. But that may not be the best appropriate location for the care that you seek. So how do I provide resources at this point now virtually longer hours in the clinic, maybe a weekend to meet those needs? I think that's the piece we want health systems to recognize is that we can't. The business imperative can't be because it's convenient for us. The business imperative needs to be because it meets the needs of those whom we serve. Um, And as we do that and pay attention, I think things begin to change. And even how we design hospitals um, would, would change. I laugh when, I, when we talk about the campus at Freighter, and mind you, I've worked for academic medical centers before in my prior life, but we want people to remember where they parked. We want people to remember which door they walked in, and we want them to remember um, how to get to their appointment and back. And what we're saying is we gotta make that easier for them. So one change is happening at Freighter. All of our, and you might think it's small, but it kind of connects for me. All of our parking structures were named numbered. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But you were coming to the cancer center and going to park in garage two instead of the cancer center parking garage. So when you got turned around because we made you walk from point A to point B and you were trying to get back to parking area two, was it that you parked on the second floor of the garage or was it actually garage number two? So we had to take a pause because we heard from our patients and consumers and say, "This doesn't make sense. It's all we've always done it that way, but it doesn't make sense." So now the evolution for us is cancer center parking lot, center for advanced care parking garage, ambulatory clinics parking garage, because you know what you came in for, and if you tell me that, I know how to get you back, and then you can figure out what floor you parked on. Small example. But you magnify that in the health care that we provide to others, and it makes a huge difference of being responsive as opposed to assuming we know we have all the answers and we know how to provide the care.
0: Great practical, tactical example, Rochelle. Thank yeah. you for that. So, Rochelle, as, as we've been talking today, it occurred to me... Um, How do you view or how do you see the intersect between cultural competency and person-centered care? Something we've really been focusing on in healthcare as well.
1: You know, it's interesting, Janet. I think um, when you talk about the cultural competency and the person-centered care, for me, I agree are one and the same. It's recognizing that that person is going to come in with some special, unique um, practices, the cultural piece that I may need to be mindful of. And so the one that kind of comes to my mind, I'm full of stories today, is we, I was shadowing one of our physicians and they had a Muslim um, patient. And her request was that no male see her um, without her clothing. Um, and so the opportunity for us was to figure out how to have an all-female surgical team, including anesthesiologists, anesthesiologist. And that was the one piece. The anesthesiologist is going to be a male. And so we had to go back to her and say, Honor your request. Here's our situation. Do we have other options? And she gave us options to provide her care that met her cultural needs, her personal needs, and then also allowed from the institutional perspective for us to be responsive to what needed to happen that day. So I think that the two for me are very much. very much connected.
0: Uh, Rochelle, I have to say, uh, Madeline and I have so appreciated you being with us today to do what I think is the start of a conversation on the topic of cultural competency. And I think it's one that we will want to and will need to, um, to serve our communities build on in future podcasts. But for today, I I did make a few notes of some lessons learned as I listened to you. And um, the first one is that we need to start with the data. So Um, An underlying theme was assumptions, assumptions, assumptions will hurt you in this work. So we do need to start with the data. And I loved how you simply phrased it as, are there differences we're not recognizing? And so we can start to identify those differences, but then even that is not enough. Um, We also heard from you that we need to ask questions of the community to get better answers. So again, don't assume we know those answers but start to ask some of the right questions of the community in order to get um, the answers that we need to plan well to help others be well. And then finally, um, again, along the lines of asking questions, you reminded us we need to be humble enough to ask the questions. And so for any um, health care leader, any healthcare system team listening to this podcast today, I think those are the words of wisdom. Um, be humble, ask, don't tell, and start the journey. Awesome. So thank you, Rochelle, for being with us. Anything else you'd like to say as we wind up? And Madeline, you chime in as well.
1: Very thankful for the opportunity. Um, I am um, very humbled and honored to be in this profession and um, appreciate the opportunity to help some if they haven't started and welcome the conversation for those who are along that journey so we can all learn from one another. So thank you.
2: Thank you, Rochelle, for joining us. It was a wonderful conversation. We really appreciate your time today.
1: Appreciate you all. Thank you.